Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 Calgary West. In the Old Testament, there's a, a book called the Book of Amos. And in the Book of Amos, which I'm not going to preach from, Amos talked about the burden of the word of the Lord. He said he felt like a cart that had too many sheaves on it under the pressure and the burden of the word of the Lord. I feel in my heart that the Lord has laid something on my heart for this church and it it feels like the burden of the Lord. And I'm actually looking forward to 35 minutes from now when I have unloaded <laughs> the cart that's full of sheaves. I want to read from First uh, Chronicles chapter 13. <clears throat> we'll be looking at chapter 13 and 15. <clears throat> First Chronicles chapter 13, I want to read from verse 3. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. And I'll drop down to verse 7. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? I want to preach today about the pursuit of the presence of God. Let me clarify when I talk about the presence of God. There is a sense in which God's presence is everywhere. It's called omnipresent. The psalmist wrote about it in Psalm 139. He said, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your Holy Spirit? He said, if I make my bed in Hades, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and flee to the uttermost parts of the earth, you are there. The simple fact is God is everywhere, and he is here in this place today. 
But there is another dimension of God's presence about which I want to speak today, and that is the manifested presence of God. It's when we feel God's presence. It has to do with relationship, and it has to do with intimacy. It has to do when God draws near to us, puts his arms around us, and we are consciously aware that we are in the presence of God. In the passage I read today, it talks about David's desire to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Let me explain. The ark was simply a, a box. It was covered with gold, and on either end there were cherubims. And it was to be placed in the most holy place in the tabernacle that Moses built. And God made a commitment to the nation of Israel. Exodus 25, 22, he said, and there, and there, at the ark in the holy place, and there I will meet with you, and I will speak to you. It's called in other places the Ark of the Covenant because God made a covenant. And his covenant is when you come there, I'll be there. And I'll be close enough to speak to you. There will be an intimate relationship. Jesus reiterated that Matthew 18, 20, when he said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, that's us. He said, there I am in your midst. We, we don't have to invite him. This is his house, not ours. But he said, when you gather together, and today we are the church living all over this city, but today we are gathered together for these moments, and he made us the promise I will be there in your midst. But the ark was not in the tabernacle. And you might ask the question, where was it? Well, the ark was actually in the house of Abinadab. And if you go back through the story, you will discover that when the Philistines attacked the nation, they took the ark to the battlefield, and the Philistines captured it, but they discovered they had a hot potato in their hands. People began to die. And so they, they abandoned the ark in the house of Abinadab. But the rituals went on in the tabernacle just the same. The great danger is, is, is that you can get used to God not being there. He had not been in the tabernacle for decades, but they carried on, and the abnormal became normal. And the scary thing to me is you can actually learn to do church without God. 
not really his way. But I've watched a lot if you have the right building in the right location with the right amount of money and a charismatic leader, you can actually function without God. And that's a frightening thing to me. There'll be a lot of churches that gather together today and God will not be there. And they won't miss him because he hasn't been there for decades because they turn from his word and from his ways. And yes, they gather together and open the hymn book. But the presence of God, I'm talking about the manifested presence of God. I'm talking about the glory of God that fills the house. I'm talking about what we were sensing in our spirit a few moments ago as we were singing about his presence and magnifying his name. That's what I'm talking about. And so a holy dissatisfaction arises in David's heart. I want you to think about him. He's young, he's popular, he's powerful. His kingdom is at peace, but something is missing. And I want to say to all of us today that no matter who you are or what you have or what you accomplish, there will always be a vacant place in your heart unless it is filled with an intimate sense of the presence of Almighty God. The psalmist said, in your presence, not in your bank account, in your presence, not in your job, in your presence, not in your marriage, but in your presence, there is fullness of joy and there are pleasures forevermore. And that longing that is deep down in your spirit that perhaps you have never identified that longing is for personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that brings joy and peace and fulfillment to your heart. So a holy dissatisfaction begins to rise in David's heart, and he talked about it in his Psalms. Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2, he said, As the deer pants for the water brooks, and the picture is of the deer that's hunted and oppressed and driven. And everything in his being is crying out for water. As the deer pants, longs for the water brook, so pants my soul after you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God for the living God, not the historical God, not the God that used to do things, but the God of now, the God of the moment, the God for us. There is a thirst for a living, vital relationship with the living God. Psalm 63, he put it this way, O oh God, I think sometimes we've lost the old the passion, the cry. I believe the sin of the Canadian church is complacency, satisfied with where we are. But I want to stir up our hearts. He said, oh God, oh God, you are my God. 
early will I seek you. That is, he's talking about priorities. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you, not for another program. For him, for God, my soul longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. So have I looked for you in the sanctuary. I come here every Sunday. And it's nice to see all of you, but, but I come out looking for him. I want to know if he's going to be here, if his presence is going to hover over us. And we, we sense ourselves in the, in the presence of a holy, awesome, magnificent God. He said, I, I come, I'm looking for you in the sanctuaries to see your power and to see your glory. We've all had a little taste of his power. We probably all had a little taste of his glory. But there is this cry in our spirits and in our hearts that we will see an absolutely breakthrough and a breakout of the power of Almighty God in signs and wonders and in miracles and in healings and a display of the glory of Almighty God filling the house. That's the cry of our heart. I believe that the beginning of the restoration process is hunger. If you're satisfied where you are, you'll stay where you are. But if deep down, <coughs> out of the innermost part of your being, there is a hunger, a cry for God, it will be answered. Now David made two attempts to bring back the ark. The first ended in tragedy and the other ended in incredible joy. I'm not going to linger long on what he did wrong, but I want to talk about it just briefly. David's great mistake, as I study this story, is that he consulted the people rather than God. He formed a committee. I believe the best committee is a man or a woman of God on their knees in the presence of Almighty God listening to his voice. That's the best. And, and in this committee, somebody had an idea. And the idea was we'll build a new cart. We'll put the ark on it. I mean, that seemed to be sensible and progressive and moving with the times. I mean, the old way was to carry it, but, but surely there's a better way. And sometimes I think we struggle with that. We think sometimes we know better than God, that he ought to update the Bible sort of get with it because it's the 21st century and we're educated and sophisticated and all of the rest. But I want to tell you, we'll never improve on God's way. And this book will never need it to be updated or revised. It's written in heaven. It's eternal. It's forever. 
And God does not change. Never. God's not in heaven calling the Archangel Michael over and saying, you know, maybe we didn't get that right. (laughs) What's written is God's word. And here's what David said in retrospect. First Chronicles 15, 13. He said, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about proper order. He consulted the people, but he forgot to consult God. There's a great danger, I believe, for all of us who are leaders to give the people what they want instead of what they need. And I used to say to the downtown people, and some of them are here today, that when the lights go out on Sunday night, I'm not really so worried if you were happy about the day as I'm concerned as whether God was happy about the day. I'm concerned not so much whether you like this message, but I'm really concerned if it's okay with God. Because at the end of the day, I want to please him. So, you know, they put this ark on the cart, and and they're making really good progress. And I have to confess, I build a lot of carts in my life. I had a lot of ideas, too. Church growth people told us how to raise the church, and they had wonderful ideas. And actually, they worked for a while. But it says in the story that they came to a rough place. And everybody will come to a rough place in life, and churches come to rough places. And when the ark began to tremble on the cart, one of the young men put his hand out and touched it and dropped dead. And the Bible says that David was angry. I mean, everybody's there. He's leading the parade. He promised them this thing's going to work. And instead, there's a funeral. And he looks bad. And he's angry. And there were times in my life when I built carts too. And thought I had a wonderful idea and asked God to bless it. And when he didn't bless it, I was frustrated and discouraged and, quite frankly, sometimes really upset, thinking, God, that was a really good idea, and why wouldn't you bless it? And I heard him say, but it wasn't my idea, it was yours. And David is angry. And then it says in the story that David was afraid of God that day. That's the turnaround in the story. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's where it begins to turn around. And David asks the question, how, how can I bring the ark of God to me? 
And when you read the story, you'll discover for the next three months, David is on his face before the Lord, seeking God's face. He's examining the word of God. And he discovers the way to bring the ark back. And I want to give you four quick things. And I believe that we can apply them to our lives in order to bring the presence of God in his fullness into our lives, into our homes, and into our church. The first thing is that David prepared a place. First Chronicles 15:1 said he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. He had no idea of taking the ark back to the old tabernacle. Because listen, folks, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. And he knew if he took the ark back and put it in the tabernacle, it'd be business as usual. But this was a new day and a new move of God. And God said, pitch a tent. I want you to put it in a place where there's no veil. I want you to put it in a place where everybody could come, not just the high priest once a year. So David, prepare a place for the ark. I believe that we need to prepare our hearts for a coming move of the Spirit of Almighty God. The early church spent 10 days in prayer and in supplication, in purifying their hearts, waiting before God. And then the Bible says, suddenly, suddenly the heavens were opened and the Spirit of Almighty God fell on the 120 in the room, but they'd prepared their hearts and prepared a place. I believe that God is calling us as individuals and as a church to prepare a place for the presence of God. The second thing you will discover is he did it God's way. He... he discovered as he searched the scriptures, 1 Chronicles 15, to no one may bring up the ark of the Lord. No one may carry the ark of the Lord but the Levites. The Levites were the worshipers. And God's pattern was that they would insert staves in the rings on the side of the ark and the Levites, the worshipers, would, would come carrying the presence of God. I believe it is the responsibility of the worship leaders and of us preachers to come to the house of God and we are burying, we are carrying, we are bringing the presence of Almighty God into the house. He did it God's way. The third thing is that the priests were required to sanctify themselves. First Chronicles 15, 12, he said, sanctify yourselves that you may bring up the ark of the Lord. I believe the call of the Spirit of God to us is a call to holiness, not a call to happiness, a call to holiness. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4 says, Who can ascend 
to the hill of the Lord. That's the place of his presence. And who can stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. I believe that there is a call from the Spirit of God to all of us. I include myself. I stand at the front of the list to say there is a call of God to lay aside every fleshly sin and desire. There's a call for holiness. And it is by sanctified priests that the ark of God was brought back. Let me come to the last point, which I believe is the most important of all. And I want to share a little personal story, and I'm done. But I want us to observe that the ark came back in an atmosphere of praise and worship. And that David set the example. It said about David that he was clothed with the robe of linen, that is, he set aside his kingly robes, put on the garment of a priest. Fine linen speaks of righteousness, godliness. And it said, thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the horns, with trumpets and cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps. When Solomon brought the ark from the tent to the new temple that he had built, here's what it says. This is, I believe, the key scripture for us to hear today. Said, indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one. Let me just say on the side, I believe the Holy Spirit is looking for places to land. But he will not settle where there is confusion and discord. That's true for our homes. That's true for our church. It said on the day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord in one place, with one heart. They were crying out for the one thing, the presence of God. When the trumpeters and the singers were one to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, and when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That, that, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. That's my prayer. That's my cry. That the glory of the Lord 
will so envelop us and so overwhelm us that every human being will fade into the background because the glory of God has filled the house. It says about Mary, John chapter 12, that when she broke the alabaster box on the feet of Jesus and knelt to worship and mingled her tears as she took her tresses and washed his feet, it said the fragrance filled the house. I believe it's as we offer our praise and we offer our worship from pure hearts that the fragrance of his presence fills the house. Psalm 22, verse 3 says that God dwells. He is enthroned in the praises of his people. Now let me close with this little testimony. And part of it is a confession, I guess. I have always been a Martha for most of my life. Type A. I've loved the Lord since I met him. My mother's knee, I was five years of age. And I think I always loved him and I expressed my love in service, served the best I knew how. But I discovered at different times in my life, but I'll only talk about the last time, that I discovered through service an emptiness in my heart. Yes, other people from outside would say, you're doing really good and you're successful and all of the rest. But deep down in my spirit, something said to me, there's, there's something more. There's something more. So it's probably 25 years ago now, I had a meeting with the Lord one day and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I just don't want to do this anymore. So I think... I'm going to go and sell real estate. I thought I could really do that because preachers are persuaders. <laughs> I'm trying to persuade you today. But I said to the Lord, if you, would, if you would touch me one more time, then I'll preach as long as I live. And this cry began to rise in my heart with such intensity. And for me, it was life or death. Like, God, either you touch me or I'm done. I still love you. That wasn't the issue. And I, I'll not go into the, all the details, but here's what I want to tell you, is that in response to the cry of my spirit, God sovereignly touched me. 
I, did, I found a joy that I'd never had, always wanted. I found a peace that had been really elusive. I discovered an intimacy with Jesus I'd never had before. And, and suddenly I was transformed from a Martha to a Mary. And all I wanted to do was sit at his feet and be in his presence. And I, and I found the answer to the longing of my soul. And there's many of you here today and, and you can relate to what I'm saying. You're faithful. You serve the Lord. You're Martha. Something needs done. You're, you're the first to say, sure. But, but something inside here is missing. And you say to yourself, there's something more. There's got to be. There must be. What that longing is, is a longing for intimacy with the Lord. And a key to that whole process is to give ourselves to praise and worship. Because as the praise goes up, the presence comes down. That's how it works. As we extend to him our worship, and worship is really saying in essence, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to be close to you. No, I'm not discounting service. It says about Mary, she also sat at his feet. She worked too. She served too. We need people in the house of God who will serve, but I just want to take us another step further because really, really, really deep down in your heart, that's the cry of your spirit for him, for his presence, for his touch. So Lord, I ask you now, just brood over us here in this house. Just brood over us from the very back to the very front to the musicians. I just pray, Spirit of God, brood over us. Breathe on us the breath of life. I pray that fresh fire will fall on the altar. I pray that fresh oil will be placed upon our heads. I'm asking you, Lord, all over this room, right now in this moment, as people reach out in their spirits for you, I pray you will touch them. Let there come a fresh breath of the Spirit of God on their hearts. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. They asked me before the service how I was going to close it, and I said, I don't know. But 
here's what I think in my spirit. We're going to sing a song about the presence of the Lord. If there's a cry in your heart today for his presence, I'm going to suggest that you slip out of your seat or you can stay in your seat. It doesn't matter. But perhaps it would be good to come and kneel at this altar. And by kneeling at this altar, we're saying to the Lord, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. He promised that if you're hungry and thirsty, he'd fill you. He said he'd pour water in the dry grounds and he'd pour floods upon you. And it seems to me it just might be the right way to close the service. So we're going to begin to sing. If you'd like to do that, some of you perhaps can't kneel. That's fine. I understand that. And some of you may need to go. We'll not dismiss the service. You can stay as long as you want. Leave as soon as you wish. But I'd like us to stand. We're going to sing this song as a confession and as a prayer. We've already done it, but we're going to do it again. Let's lift it up before the Lord. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.